Hello and welcome to the Service MVP Podcast. And my name is Joe Crisera, America's Service Sales Coach. First of all, we want to start this podcast with a special note that this is one year of Service MVP Podcast. We wanted to thank you, the listener, for making the effort to download these podcasts and listen to all the great information to be able to help you and your family and your team improve and uh, to help us bring the message out to everybody else. We really appreciate that. We want to thank you and thanks for the effort and thanks for the opportunity. Without that, any further ado, let's go ahead and listen to some great clips from 2023 with the great information we brought to you. All right, everybody, welcome to the Service MVP podcast. I am America's Service Sales Coach, Joe Crisera. And on today's show, our inaugural episode, we do have with us one of my very best and dearest friends. He's famous regionally in the New England area, but he has now become a worldwide phenomena. I'd like to introduce my friend, Rick Picard. Rick, welcome to the Service MVP podcast for our first episode. Thank you so much for being here. Well, Joe, I'm so honored that you would invite me to say inaugural, inaugural, I can't even say that word, inaugural <laughs> first episode. And there you so go. I'm, and I'm honored to be here. Well, Rick, uh, today's show, we're going to call, charge, call an interesting subject. It's called giving yourself the gift of responsibility. When I, I asked you, I said, well, you know, I got some subjects. Of course, they're all kind of salesy subjects. And you like, well, Joe, I think this is the one we should do first to make sure that let's start out with this. Tell us a little bit about your background and the different results you've gotten so people can understand, you know, where you started and where you're at right now. Yeah, I, I started out as a service installer. I, matter of fact, I installed my first furnace in 1979. And, you know, I went through the ranks as a service guy and installer. Then I became a salesperson. I've been uh, serving my customers in the sales aspect for probably 20 years now. And with your help and some uh, good coaching from you and um, some hard work from myself, I'm on pace to do 12 million in sales this year. One of the things that's helped me the most to be effective is what the topic I'm going to talk about tonight is about responsibility. You gain momentum in this area too. I mean, when I, when I first met you, you're like, Joe, what can I do? I mean, the uh, you know the competition's already charging 1,800 bucks for a furnace, and I'm at 2,500 bucks. Remember back in the day, you were kind of in denial of the responsibility a little bit, and I said, Well, Rick, as the problem is, you're only 700 dollars higher. It should be 20,000 higher, and then, then people got something to talk about. Can you give some examples of what you see that just in normal human interactions about how right, responsibility yeah. is so important? Once I had the key and once you helped me understand that I had to take responsibility for my results and I could change the results, the heavens opened up for me, right? And everything made a difference. I saw the importance of responsibility. My daughter and son-in-law are having some problems and they've been fighting a lot lately. And believe it or not, they asked me to come help. <laughs> All right. Wow, I didn't know you yeah, had marriage just, counseling. It's a side job yeah, of yeah. marriage counseling. That's great. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife rolled her eyes, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah. But, yeah. but they asked for help. And and when I went, went down and I listened to him speak, the thing I noticed first is both of them were too busy blaming the other person for what was going on. Instead of focusing on what they did to cause the other person to be upset and then how they reacted, they were focused on how they reacted. So they were too busy pointing the finger at each other that they didn't realize that without taking responsibility, there's no growth. Right. So the reason they've been stuck where they've been for a long while now is because neither of them could grow because they weren't taking responsibility. If it's the other person's fault, then you have there's no reason to change. 
the more responsibility we begin to take, the more we begin to grow as a person. Right. I absolutely believe that. I mean, to me, I think that's the biggest thing that's helped me the most, just, you know, take responsibility. And when I kept on talking about looking at themselves, instead of looking at the person, a little light came on. My son-in-law said to me, you know what? I know there's certain trigger points that get her upset. And I don't take responsibility for slitting that switch off. And my daughter said the same thing. We have a blind spot when it comes to this. Rick, what do you think about that? Is that true? It definitely. It's true. You know, here these two people loved each other and, and cared for each other, but they couldn't see it. How does this responsibility help us get better results with our clients? I think the customer has to see or feel that your motive for them is pure, right? We talk about mm. pure motive service a lot, right? You know, when a customer can intangibly just feel that you're looking out for their best interest, not your mm. own. People can see that, you, that your motive is about them, not yourself. Welcome to the Service MVP Podcast, and I am Joe Cressera, America's Service Sales Coach. With me today, one of my very best friends, Drew Cameron from Flow Odyssey. Say hi to all the people who are listening to our show. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for having me, Joe. I greatly appreciate that, and and likewise, you're one of my best friends in the industry as well. You know, Drew is one of the uh, people who got me started with uh, helping service professionals achieve great results. So thank you so much for that, Drew. Not my pleasure. And uh, it was a privilege to do it at the time and uh, just enjoy seeing what you're doing. And uh, I kind of think of you as my uh, my brother on the West Coast, kind of making the impact that I'm trying to make. And uh, all we're doing is just elevating contractors. And today we are going to talk about a, a very important subject, which is the elevated consumer buying experience. Uh, Drew, uh, would you like to go ahead and uh, just give me a little bit of an overview about what you'd like to provide uh, with uh, this episode so that our listeners can get the best results possible? Sure. Uh, you know, when we talk about the elevated consumer buying experience, we, you know, we're really what we're talking about is sales. And everybody talks about sales and selling and the sales process. But I think when it comes to the in-home experience and specifically with the sales professional, not necessarily the technician, because I think that's a different model uh, that we approach and I can have a conversation another time about that. But what the LV consumer buying experience is, it's a, an evidence-based approach to teach customers how to buy and where value comes from so that they get what they truly want and pay for. Because I want the customer to, you know, to understand why the scope of work has to be what it must be. And so I, I'd really rather lose the business today than lose them as a customer tomorrow. You're the first person who ever said, it's okay to tell the customer no. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's okay to tell them, if you want to do it that way, we'd ha you'd have to call somebody else. That's kind of like the defining moment. Sales Salespeople who are really more of a service person who says, you know, if we're going to do it, let's do it right. If, I'm not gonna, if we're going to do it wrong, you're going to have to use somebody else. I mean, how often... Would you say on a, on a normal sales cycle or look somebody does a week worth of calls that a salesperson is going to wind up telling a customer, listen, we need to stay true to this process. And if you're going to do it that way, we're going to have to tell you uh, to find somebody else. If I teach the customer how to buy and I teach them the standards that they shouldn't compromise for, compromise on, and, it, and I teach them how to pick a good contractor, what makes a good contractor? And it's like, you don't have to do business with me, but you should do business with somebody like me. And, you know, do I want to earn your business? Sure, if it makes sense. Because I have to earn their business, but they also have to earn the right to do business with me, as you were saying, right? So if you want to do it wrong, then we may not be the, you know, the company for you. And that's okay. How I gauge it is, are you willing to walk away if the customer is basically, you know, you know trying to compromise the integrity of the approach? Because 
I believe the myth of sales is that, you know, that we actually sell something. I believe people choose to buy or they choose not to buy for their reasons and on their timeline. And my job is to align myself with their process and not inflict my process because I want to make a sale or fill a crew day to get a result that I desire. I want them to get the result that they desire. So it's a subtle, subtle paradigm shift, Joe. Well, you know, it's something that I know that goes back in your family history with uh, your, your father, John Cameron, right? Yep. He had the theory, if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. I think I heard you say to me early in the process when you were teaching me, I'd rather turn you down than let you down, right? Does that make sense? And, <laughs> uh, and this is a really a good pro approach. It's like sometimes uh, the hardest part of sales is uh, being able to guide people the right direction because I think most consumers have a self-inflicted wound. How is shopping for a service uh, different than shopping for an item on Amazon or a commodity, you would call it. I mean, I, let's just expand a little bit more on that as to why is that such a difference uh, between those two things? Great question, because, you know, all the value in the thing, right, the appliance, the car, the electronics, the groceries, the clothing, all the value is in the thing. And, and for us in the service and the, really the design, the service, the installation business, the crafts personship business, if you will, all the value of the things comes from the people and the processes, right? And the service, uh, you know, of that. And so it's not in the things, but the customer doesn't know any better. And most contractors go out there and sell those things anyway, right? They focus on the boxes, the brands, the models, the efficiencies, the capacities. And, and, and those things are really just, you really think about it, those ratings are a matter of potential from the manufacturer the contractor through their processes and people and design and whatnot, and, and then practices of putting things in and service and maintaining them ultimately determine the performance. And at the end of the day, that's what the customer wants is the performance, but the contractor sells the brand and they ultimately commoditize that decision. And so customers know no better. And so they end up comparison shopping. it. Yeah. So to get the elevated consumer buying experience, it's going to take somebody who's able to kind of fight upstream against that paradigm where people are trying to commoditize it and turn it into a thing because service is done by people. And so in a way, you are shopping for the right person. We don't really realize it. We think we're looking at the furnace or a, a Tenko's water heater or electrical panel, whatever it is we're trying to do. But right. unknowing, unknowing we don't realize that the person who does it is the most important element of, of the service rather than the, than the parts itself. Welcome to the Service MVP Podcast, and my name is Joe Cressera, America's Service Sales Coach, and I have with me uh, one of my good friends, uh, Mr. Ken Goodrich from the Gettle Services. It's much bigger than just heating and air. Ken, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to have be on the show with you, Joe. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have here, Ken, and uh, definitely always great to reconnect. Ken, today's meeting is called, How Will AI Affect the Service Industry, Both Now and in the Future? The subject is going to get a lot of people watching and listening uh, as they are looking for direction and uh, trying to see how it's going to affect us. We do see some of the smaller effects right now. How do you think this will affect uh, the average service technician and or salespeople who are working with customers in the field? Well... Hold that thought. I just want to say, preface everything with this. If I think too deep about AI, I'm completely terrified. I mean, 
you know, we grew up with the movie, The Terminator, right? And it seems like it's really playing out, all, you know, right in front of our eyes, just exactly how this movie uh, described 40 years ago, which, you know, I don't know how they already knew, but uh, it is very interesting. That said, you know, it's it's inevitable and AI is here to stay. It's coming. It's part of lots of things today that that we probably don't even know that's going on. So as far as, as far as our industry is concerned, you know, I really see lots of applications for us to you know help our service technicians providing a, a more reliable or more predictive maintenance and predictive service methodology uh, for the end user. I think that uh, you know overall AI is going to be a great thing for us and you know really starting to come on very fast. You know, you think about a manufacturer, they could just grab one or two or three inputs, some sort of inputs in the system, you know, a temperature, a, a voltage, you know, outside temperatures, things like that. They can predict. I mean, you can take all that data and start to aggregate it and predict what the challenges with the unit is and, and start to take reading data before the service technician ever arrives. The AI is pretty much predicted what the challenge is and say either this is exactly what it is and or here's two or three things that it could be, bring these parts, right? Mm -hmm. And streamline the troubleshooting process. You know, I started out as a technician, you know, really that's where the skill was, is the troubleshooter, right? The guy who could figure it all out, the guy who's really devoted himself to the trade, you know, the guy who knew how the, uh, the TXV works, that guy. Yeah. Where I see it going is the manufacturers start to include AI in, in their systems and be able to predict breakdowns are coming you can be more re more uh, proactive on your service and service technicians will probably start headed to be more of parts changers you know than they are really technicians who are evaluating the system unless the ai is broken i guess but you know what kind of interesting i thought about that myself myself i said hey write write this article based on this and it came up with some pretty good stuff but then it's like you know i i want to i gotta put my touch on it because it's not quite there. I think it will probably be there once you get to know me better. But I think there's also two th two parts of it. When I saw it write this stuff, I learned how to write better too. I'm like, you know what? I should write it like that's a good format. We humans are learning from the different formats and shapes and things that it puts things in for us and helps us to organize information in a way that we can consume it better and more easily. What do you think about that when it comes to the technicians actually becoming smarter? Well, to your point, I think, you know, it. I think uh, if, if we used AI to troubleshoot specifically down to the component level on a system, you know, it, it could clearly say, you know, here's, here's the metrics whereby we made this decision. This pressure's off. This temperature's off. This uh, air movement is wrong. Really kind of give a technician a clear understanding on the holistic view of the, how the system's operating and so he can get it clear in his mind. Uh, to be able to troubleshoot without the AI. So I think there's a lot of learning to be had too. And just like you said, you know, now I'm starting to use the the uh, chat GPT and when I'm writing things and sometimes it writes better than I do, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, <laughs> certainly if I, if I want to gain a quick amount of knowledge on a, a big subject, right? But pare it down into some specific points on the subject, boy, that does a lot of research for you fast. So same kind of thing, you know, I have this challenge of the holistic approach of the system and especially on the big commercial stuff as well.
uh, you know, what are the probable challenges or what would be a most efficient troubleshooting uh, process, even in construction, if you're, while you're installing, what would be, what would be the optimum uh, staging for the job uh, and a schedule for the job? I mean, this is where it's all going. Uh, you know, I have these conditions that exist. Tell me how to optimize the outcome. That's amazing. Imagine imagine getting like an installation sequence list and how much time each part of the job would take based on input it's had. And to give us an install manager, hey, here's what it should take to do this job. I know you sold this much of it, but here's what it should take. That is amazing. Well, let me just start with after coming back from LA and seeing for myself the whole process and what service MVP brings to the table. I've been in the trades 24 years. I'm a licensed master plumber. I've owned four different variations of service companies that have all done pretty well. And I've been a very high producer the entire time, but I left your training and looked at Michael Munoz and said, I've been doing it all wrong. That I realize, <laughs> I realize now that if I would have implemented this call-by-call -call process with the six options and the pure mode of service that I could have easily added 20, 30% to our bottom line year over year. So really what you're presenting here is a great service. So number one, the primary focus, it sounds like to me, is that free to grow is is really focusing on the service that the, and the experience that the client gets is a world-class experience. That's why we're here, Joe. I mean, we're not here to sell them anything. We're here to empower and educate them and let them make the best decision for their home. It's just that simple. And we're finding that when we do that, 80% of the time they're buying. Instead of getting a basic minor repair, the people are at least choosing that mid-grade option on the repair side as well. So people are going for those the premium options more so than they are the Correct. options overall. I absolutely love it. I mean, not only has it increased my productivity, I've gone from three calls, four calls a day to being able to run five to seven. I don't have to leave my home. We're increasing productivity. We're increasing average tickets. We're increasing conversion rates. And we are completely eliminating your need for any of that overhead. The nice thing about this too, this whole process is once we get boots on the ground to do the onboarding, we're selling from day one. We've got your team connected with the, with the project manager and you're starting to make money and see the improvements from day one. The only purpose of your work is to serve that, sale, that service team, correct? Is that correct? Exactly. You'll see an ROI within the first four weeks. Amazing. It's just, a, it's a win-win-win for everyone. Thank you for uh, everything you've done to take our program and put it out there in the public. The, turning these positive thoughts into reality and creating a service that's truly, truly like none other that exists in this business. Thank you, Michael, for being part correct. of it. Correct. Thank for, you so much. For, forging this uh, with, with the contracting industry. I appreciate that. My purpose as a, as a human, as a leader, is to help lead people to become the best versions of themselves. And so I find a ton of passion in equipping, empowering, inspiring, and motivating my team to be the best that they can be. But through that, I have to understand what's important to them and what matters to them. Right. Some people aren't always motivated by more money. Some people are motivated by time. Some people are motivated by their dream house they want to buy. So understanding what it is that motivates them helps me lead that person more appropriately to make sure that 
you understand what I'm trying to do at Grasshopper and you're a brand representative of Grasshopper and because of that this is what we're going to do and I'm going to help make your dreams come true too. So it is understanding your people and then your people knowing that you've got them, you're supporting them and you're there as a tool to help equip, empower and motivate them to be the best they can be. So not only does the external client get customized relevant service, mm -hmm. but it's also important that the internal customer in our client, yeah. in our company at, at Grasshopper in your case, gets that personal customized service to, re to live their dreams or to get their uh, emotion, emotional we say, Yeah, we say often at Grasshopper, we treat our employees so well that they treat our customers even better. Man, our focus is our people. As you probably know, one of the biggest reasons I had Amanda come out here, I invited her to come out to Los Angeles here to meet with our team, is because I really consider Amanda a visionary and somebody I, I would say she probably doesn't. I'm, I'm gonna use this term, a new term that maybe she doesn't, a futurist. You know, somebody, futurist. somebody who can see the future based on the trends that we see happening today. This is off the record. I didn't even tell you we're gonna prepare you for this one at all. You're younger than I am, and I'm I'm so I'm learning I'm learning new stuff from you. Some of the newer stuff from you. I got some of the older stuff I've got. I think the combination of both of us together can't be beat. Tell us we could open probably open that door and take a look into the future. What do you see for the future of call by call? Could you give us some things that you could you can share? If you can't share some things, I know you got some proprietary uh, secrets that are coming. But you know, what are some of the things that you can share that you see in the future of call by call management and call by call systems? Yeah. Sometimes I think I challenge people to think right. All if you're on Phones Pro with Service Titan, all of your calls are recorded and you can always reference back to those calls. So let me ask you a question: Why are we not? understanding and having documentation and records of what's actually going down inside of the home. I think that as we progress to the next year, especially utilizing artificial intelligence, call by call management, you're going to see a complete revolution of call by call management that's going to completely innovate the trades to a next level, not only for the training of our internal teams, but for liability purposes for serving your clients at higher levels, for standing by your work, for understanding processes, procedures, deficiencies, where somebody needs more training and development. But most importantly, is your brand being represented properly in the home? And are you exposing yourself to any open liabilities? There is so many facets where call by call management and artificial intelligence is going to innovate this home service space. It already is. But I think as the next six months here progress, there's going to be absolutely game-changing innovation. What I'm hearing you say is here is that we're going to have a much cleaner, a much cleaner, neater uh, service package yep. for our clients yep. that gets right to the point, that saves the employee time. Where they don't feel like we're, we just wasted time with the client saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. The best way I say is a neater service package. Am I, would you say I'm on the right track with that? I think being able to streamline the service package and have full accountability. I think when we talk about neat, neat in my head equals accountability. And accountability unpacks all the things. And so I think having technicians inside of homes where that customer experience is really taking place is an, an overarching theme of straight accountability right. that I think will be eye-opening to many home service contractors once they start to understand what is or is not happening for them. Before any of you get scared about the word accountability that Anna said, <laughs> uh, the word accountability, just to, to make sure we know I'm not on the same page, the word accountability is really mainly a celebration that since you know you're being measured now, yep. 
that things are going to be able to be recorded and heard and measured on every call. Most of the time, it's like when you know that's happening, we all become our best behaviors. We all use our best intelligence. We all perk up and make sure we're paying the best attention. When we know we're kind of being watched in a way, even if there's a possibility, the illusion of being watched, it kind of does uh, bring out the best in us. I think like Michael Jordan plays in one of 50,000 people. He's going to play better than if he plays in two two people. He just put the energy out there because you got all these fans that are rooting for you, right? I know one of the things you really believe in a lot because you've invested so much in it and not so much, I mean, you invest a lot of money in this, don't get me wrong. The time you've invested Mm -hmm. is just stunning. Would you say that as you've invested more time and more financial resources into the training, what is the return on investment for that? Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's made me closer to the team, closer to the companies. So that's one of the tangible things. Yeah. You feel like you have more intimate appeal and conversation with the team. They're real conversations, right. not just conversations in passing like right. plumbers from Ontario would normally do. Right. You haven't said, hey, what's really going on? Type of thing. Exactly. Because you're not your closest. So that's one of the returns on investment you get. It doesn't have to be financial. It could just be that element of it, right? That's right. And, uh, and financial, that, that's going up a lot. Like, we're growing up. Well, since we started, we're double our job average. Uh, really? We've over doubled our job average. You got to justify this to your CFO to do more training to say the return on investment would look like for that. Profit percentage has not changed. It's still maintaining, but we're still spending a lot of money. We're making more money because our revenue's higher. Mm-hmm. So, if we didn't spend this money, profits probably be. Half what we were. Be flat. Yeah. Because yeah. whether the costs are increasing, the gap is between the cost increasing and our ability to communicate increasing as well. Training is something that is necessary to fill that gap. Would you say that's true? I would say that's true. But I do want to say the biggest, biggest satisfaction I had putting in this training is when I'm away, that meeting goes like it's club. The next guy takes lead. They all take turns in being the leaguer. Like that's a good feeling for me. Share that leadership. Building a good culture just makes things feel so much better walking into work. Even for the guys, we can feel things changing. And then some of the guys that weren't on board at the beginning, they're, they're, they're begging to get onto this course. Kind of turned it around from being resistant to be like, when, when can I be next? When can I be next? When can I be? So there's a tipping point. I think when employees start to feel like, this, it was like, I got to do this extra training and stuff like that, as opposed to, wait a second, this training is not extra this is something that i need i've been lacking in. it's been a missing piece right have you seen employees like kind of wake up to this has been a missing piece in their life that you're finally providing that piece what do you think of that eric you know eric oh yeah one he's, of your great <laughs> he's really really coming along with this he's mentoring some of the other guys we've had one guy he's doing homework off his hours so uh, like after hours so we can get into the course and be on our team it's really a good feeling that is really good. That's good. Well, people kind of come around to it, and this is a tipping point. I always say it's kind of like, yeah, I think we're on the, other, I think we're down the on the other part because it feels like it's kind of the wagon's rolling downhill. It's not having to push it up, push the rock uphill all the right. time, right? But what are some of the standards you have at Hypro that you can share with the rest of the groups here? I think that falls into the culture. We just over the past few years, we've just developed the culture. We only hire people that share our values, and I guess with with leadership, everyone kind of. You kind of all get on the same page. If someone's a bad apple and uh, disgruntled, or you get some of those people once in a while, we can't turn them around. We just we that's something we don't tolerate, and the guys don't. The guys don't like having that behavior. <laughs>
this job is something that you don't you hate doing. That's one of those things that you have to say we have to change that or change the job or change your change the attitude type of thing, right? We we do have a saying: if you're not happy here, we'll we'll help you find another job. Mm -hmm. But we want you here happy. Yeah, that's that's what we say. And a lot of people are happy. It's very rare now since we came up with we we had talked about this in meetings that if someone's a bad apple, they've only just been hired and it's been bred into them from their old company. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing because it it will be the employees that will come to you and say, "Listen, I don't want to work around this guy; he's too negative." So you actually have the employees saying that to you about it. It's the employees, yeah. So it's not like you're not like you just figure it out; like you're dialing it in. The employees kind of vote with their with with their involvement. Like, yeah. I don't really want to be involved with that person because it's too much negativity I'm feeling at that part. That's correct, yeah. As a leader, that's one of the things that they're looking to you to take action, right? I guess if you're not leading, sometimes we have a blind spot. We allow negative people to go on the team. What about somebody yes. who's very productive financially, yes. but they're not productive from that that attitude standpoint? Have you ever experienced that where yeah. somebody makes money, but they're kind of not uh, helping the culture uh, kind of work right. together as a team? I've been through this a few times and I learned my lessons and I have a rule on it, but it doesn't matter how much financially someone does, if they're making, if they're ruining the culture, the culture is far more important than one person results. And usually what happens as soon as that guy's gone, someone else will take his spot with a better attitude and the whole team kind of has like a boost. But it's just, in my opinion, it's just not worth it to compromise your culture over results. They talk about Uncle Joe's the cheat code to sales. I mean, it's like whatever that old Mario code is up, down, left, right, A, B, A, B, start. I think it's something like that. Mm-hmm. That That's what you are. You're like the original cheat code for sales. Once you know the total immersion process, you've got that down to best serve clients, best serve the company. And ultimately, when you serve the clients and the company, you'll serve yourself and your sales ambitions and drives moving forward too. And, and of course, company as a whole there. You know, I call that, Travis, I call it business surfing. You're able to ride on top of the wave. Absolutely. <laughs> as, as, which is the way business is supposed to be. It's supposed to be mm-hmm. freedom for your family as opposed to putting the family in prison because I got to do all this stuff or I got to sell all this stuff. I think every contractor realizes it like, yeah, we never had that shit together. And so many people are always working 60, 70 hours a week when they really should be working 30 to 40 because probably 20 to 30 hours of it is just junk that they think is important, but it's actually absolutely useless to overall driving the business. I think giving yourself the gift of responsibility uh, gives you the power you need to take it to that next level. I think that's where it does start. Hire the right people, make sure to have good financials, make sure to not go after too many shiny objects until you have the time and the, the ability and money, and make sure you have the right coaches because those four things will really fix a lot of problems in the business. But ultimately, uh, Louis Bruno told me this. He goes, the company will always reflect the size that you are as a leader. That's a, that's a great bit of advice there. How far do you truly want to go? Because it's perfectly fine to say, I only want to be a $10 million company. I only want to be this. I don't mm-hmm. want that added stress, that extra time frame. So decide what's right for you and don't let somebody else make that decision because somebody else has done it. But know that if somebody else has done it, it is possible and it is still back on you. Definitely hire people better than yourself not worse. Be humble. Know that everybody you're hiring, if they're not better than you, your goal is to make them better than you. And that mm. that for a lot of business owners can be difficult stating, yep, that person sitting across from me is better at me than something and I'm the business owner. Starts with me as a leader. 
I would say I either had a blind spot. I thought we were doing it, but we weren't. I thought we're, we're doing it, but we weren't doing it as great as we could have done it. You know, coaches, those coaches can be your cheerleaders because you're the cheerleader for your team. And that becomes exhausting, just as I'm sure it's exhausting many days to be Uncle Joe and be like, all right, I got to be the cheerleader for hundreds of companies. That's a tough job. A lot of it is you've got to just be sitting there dialing knobs, tiny little bits. You're not going through and trying to turn the volume to 11 on everything. You're trying to get to the little EQ and make minor adjustments to make your business profitable. Your team got that growth from us, but definitely we got personal growth from you too. I think it's, a, it's a, definitely a meeting of the minds for sure. I still have that notebook of me just scribbling as fast as I can going, holy shit, we got to call this guy and, and figure out who this Joe Crossara is because everything he said is just pure awesomeness. Joe!